What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It's good to be with you. If you just stumbled upon the podcast, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, you can come hang out with us. we got a whole community of guys from around the world uh, who are part of the Dad Tired community, and we'd love to have you come be part of that. You can do that by going to dadtired.com and clicking the community tab. That will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook, like I said, with thousands of guys from around the world who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. If you haven't picked up the Stop Behaving uh, Dad Tired devotional, I'd highly recommend getting that. It's also uh, a lot of people are getting that as gifts for their buddies. Uh, grab a couple copies of that and then go through it with your friends. Uh, it's on sale right now. It's the lowest price it's ever been. So um, you can get that at dadtired.com as well. Again, that's called the Stop Behaving devotional. Uh, as many of you know, if you're a listener to the Dad Tired podcast, I've, um, I'm taking the month of December off, but I just wanted to say hello. I hope you guys are having a great holiday season. Uh, I'm sure you're super busy. I'm, uh, I've, I've mentioned before, I've been really busy. I've been traveling a bunch. I've uh, been speaking a lot and um, just all over the place. So anyway, it's been a busy season, but um, I'm trying my best to like slow down as much as I can in December. Part of the reason I wanted to not do the podcast in December, new episodes was because I wanted to slow down, spend some time with my family as much as I could, knowing how busy I was going to be in the last six weeks, eight weeks. Um, and also just to kind of ask the Lord to rejuvenate my heart, give me new fresh ideas for dad tired and just kind of, um, lift my spirits again. But, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't really done that. It's been, it's just been busy. I feel tired, like not just physically tired as most of us do dad tired. Um, but my, my, my soul just feels tired to be totally honest with you. So, uh, I'm praying that the, that God would just kind of rejuvenate my soul, that he would draw my heart back to his in many ways. And, um, so anyways, if, if you, uh, think of it, I would appreciate your prayers on that front, but, uh, trusting the Lord and his timing and his will, it's all good, man. So, uh, I love you guys. I just want to say hi. I miss you. I'm excited for January to start get, to get back rolling again on all this stuff and, uh, get more connected with you guys as the holiday season and the busyness passes. But I love you guys. I hope you're doing really well. And uh, this this episode here is a, uh, a conference that I spoke at this year for men, for dads specifically. So um, it's a recording of that message that I gave um, to those men. So anyway, I hope it blesses you and draws your heart closer to Jesus. I love you. Say hi, shoot me an email or message on Facebook or something. If uh, I just miss you guys, so say hi. <laughs> uh, anyway, love you. Talk to you soon. Later. The thing that we have to start with as men is the story of God. And the story of God actually starts with God. And I know that seems like obvious, like, duh, Jared, that, you know, obviously the story of God starts with God. But oftentimes what happens is we begin to convince ourselves that the story of God somehow is revolved around us, that we are the center of the universe. Oftentimes I like to tell people that we convince ourselves that we are the main character in this story. And we are not. Uh, in fact, we're not even supporting actors. Uh, we're extras in this story of God. In the overall story of God, it started with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it was God, the Trinity, in perfect community with each other, enjoying the presence and, and relationship with each other, the triune God. 
And God begins to create, not because he's bored. God wasn't bored like, huh, what else could we do today? What else should I do? Or I need, I'm lonely. I need a companion. Maybe I'll make some humans. That wasn't God's intention. God, in his glory and in his grace, said, let's expand this circle so that more people can enjoy and bask in my glory and my magnificence. That there would be more people involved in this circle that we have going. And so God began to create That is the story that the scriptures start with. God begins to create, begins to create the galaxies. The scriptures say that he literally, like out of his mouth, the galaxies burst forth. To put things in perspective. Out of the mouth of God, galaxies burst forth. And he begins to create galaxies and stars and planets and all of the things that we see in the sky. And trees and oceans and all the things that swim within the ocean. He begins to create the flowers and the plants and wild animals and beasts out in the field. And after everything that God creates, he says, this is good. Wow, that's, that's good. This is good. Wow, that is also good. And then God, on the very last day, creates his most prized possession. Humans. Adam and Eve, and he knits them together. God says that, The Bible says that he literally, out of the dust of the ground, creates man. And he breathes life into man. And then he takes, it's the first time in scripture we see that God says, it's not good that man is alone. Let's make for him a helper, a companion, a life partner. And so God creates woman out of Adam. And we see for the first time humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And it's perfect. The story of God is perfect. It's exactly as God designed it to be. Relationship between Adam and Eve is perfect. Exactly as God designed it to be. Relationship between humanity and God, perfect. Exactly as he designed it to be. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no fightiness. The Bible says that they were naked with each other, and there was zero shame. I have a feeling that most of us in this room, if we think about the idea that we could be in somebody's presence, to be in God's presence and feel no shame, would that be a good thing? Man, my heart like longs for that day where I can feel zero shame. And the beginning of the scriptures describe that there, there, there's no shame. It's exactly as God designed it to be. And then you get about a page deep into this story and the craziest thing happens. It takes a terrible turn for the worse. Adam and Eve make the same decision that you and I make every single day. Is there something outside of God that could satisfy my soul? Satan didn't tempt Eve with an apple or a piece of fruit. Satan tempted Eve with this thought. Hey, isn't there something more than God that could satisfy your soul? It's the same temptation that you and I have every day. I wonder if there's something else that could satisfy my soul more than Jesus can. And the story takes a radical turn. God 
uh, humans turn their back on God. They move away from God's design. And sin enters in the world, and it's the first time we see what was a perfect relationship. Adam and Eve, there's now fracture, there's shame. Relationship between Adam and Eve is broken. Relationship between humanity and God is broken. And let's see how God responds. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Humans had just sinned for the first time, and listen to what God says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God had just created the entire world and everything was exactly as he designed it to be. And then there's sin, there's brokenness, there's junk. And God had every right. I always tell everybody this. The Bible should be this long. Look at how awesome the story was for how long it, how awesome, how long it lasted. We're on the backside of my Bible, one page deep, and things take a radical turn for the worse. God should have and could have bailed right here, Right? God should have said, like, I'm out. See ya. I'll go start a new earth. I told you how to live. I designed you a certain way. I designed there to be no shame or guilt. And you, you sinned against me. You turned your back on me. I'm out. I'll go start a new planet. I'll go do my own thing. The Bible should be one page long. He could have and he should have bailed. But God does the unthinkable. He walks in the garden with them. He doesn't shout from the heavens. He doesn't jolt down lightning. He doesn't make everything go dark. God walks in the garden. He's like right next to him. Where are you? It's a highly relational question, right? Where are you? His first words aren't, the hell did you just do? His first words are, where are you? It was a highly relational question. God is walking with them in the garden. And God makes a promise right there, if you're familiar with Scripture at all. It's the most beautiful promise in Scripture. He punishes the sin, but then God says to the serpent, Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he, referring to Jesus, will crush your head. Amen? There's good news coming. God is saying this, hey, everything just got destroyed. Everything just went like way down the drain. Everything just now has brokenness and sin. It infested everything from the microscopic level to the macro level. Everything just got messed up. But he's going to crush your head. I will make all things new again. I am going to redeem things back to the way they used to be when there used to be no friction between us. That There will be a day when that comes again. And the whole rest of scripture is that story. For you kids in here, listen, the Bible can be really confusing. It's like there's a lot of stories in here. There's a lot of like all kinds of confusing stuff. The Bible is one story of God redeeming everything back to the way it used to be. That's the whole scripture. God then sets aside a people group. Are you hanging with me? I know we're after lunch. You okay? 
God sets aside a people group. He calls them the Israelites. He says, in the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of all the junk happening in the world, now there's all kinds of like weird, crazy, sinful stuff. I want you people, the Israelites, to represent me. You'll look like what God people look like. This is what the people of God look like in the midst of all these sinful things. And so this is why you see in Exodus and Leviticus, if you ever tried to read the Bible from front to back, you get like, you get a little bit deep, like a couple books deep. You're like, this is awesome. And then you're like, this is terrible. This is like really boring. You get into lineages and rules and stuff. It starts to get really boring. What God is doing there is he's marking them or he's setting them aside. You will look different than the rest of the world. That's the whole point of Israelites, and that's the whole point of the rules that you see, is that they look different than the rest of the world. And sometimes they get it. If you read like Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it's a roller coaster. It looks like our lives. Hey, I'm really into Jesus. No, I'm not in Jesus. I'm, gonna only, or I'm only into God. I'm going to worship Yahweh. I'm totally in. Actually, I'm not. Like, I'm going to worship this golden calf today. Like, they are all over the place, right? Looks a lot like our lives. And then God does something crazy. Stick with me. Read uh, Exodus 25, verse 8. Listen to this. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God, in the midst of broken people, sinful, they're trying to do their best to have the right behavior, follow the rules, but they're falling short all the time. They're building golden caps. They're not making the sacrifices they should be doing. They're sinning against God. And God says, make a tabernacle, a sanctuary where I can dwell among you. God wanted to be near broken and messy and jacked up people. He wanted to be right there in their midst. Literally. Like, build a box and I'm going to get inside the box and walk with you through the desert. God said that. I want to be my presence to be near you. He didn't say, I'm, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to be up here in heaven and I'll come check in on you guys or I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shout down every few weeks and say, hey, how are things going? No, God said, I want to be right in your midst. Broken, jacked up, messy people. God said, I want to be right in your midst. Then God does the unspeakable. The author of this crazy story puts on human flesh. He clothes himself in humanity. The majestic God who breathed out the galaxies, who sits on the throne, and day and night the angels proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That God said, I'll put on human clothes and I'll come down to earth. God moves out of his neighborhood and moves into the ghetto called humanity where it's broken and it's jacked up and it's messy God puts on you can like touch him remember he was in the garden he was in a box in the desert and now God says I'm going to be right in your midst you could touch him you could feel him you could see his facial expressions you could smell him you could see his body language John chapter 4 John, I'm sorry, chapter 1, 
Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him what? What was it? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Which means? God with us. God with us. God near broken and messy and jacked up people. And God, Jesus, starts to do some really cool stuff, right? You, know, you, you Hopefully, maybe you've heard the story of Jesus and all the stuff that he's doing. He's building disciples. He's telling them about this new kingdom. He says, hey, I have a whole new culture. You guys have your like uh, Jewish culture. Let me tell you about the culture of heaven called the kingdom. Here's how we do things in the kingdom. I'm the king, and here's how things will work. And he gets a posse of disciples, and they're stoked. They're like, yes, this is great. Uh, you know, we're going to be, they argue with each other. Like, who's going to be the best in the kingdom? Who's going to, if you're the king, like, I want to be your right-hand man. And they're always arguing with each other about who's going to be the best. And Jesus is teaching them and they're learning. Things are going really well. And then he says this to them. Hey, but because of that fracture in our relationship, like the sin problem, I'm going to have to go on a cross and die. You used, to do, you used to sacrifice doves and goats and lambs, but I'm the perfect lamb and I need to sacrifice myself for you so that that relationship can be made whole. And the disciples get really pissed. You remember uh, Peter pulls Jesus aside, rebukes him. <laughs> you guys remember that story? Like G- Peter pulls Jesus aside and like, Jesus, you can't be saying that stuff, right? You can't be talking about how you're going to be nailed to a cross. That's not going to go over well. Jesus tells him, listen, because of that fractured relationship, I have to die on a cross to make all things new again. And he does. And then Jesus says this, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. Listen to this. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. Some people have asked me before, they've said like, isn't it better, like wouldn't it be better if Jesus were here? Like, man, I would really like to, if, if in the midst of my marriage, when I'm going through a bunch of junk, me and my wife are fighting, it would be nice just to have, like, Jesus here. I could ask Jesus, like, what, what should I do here? Or in the middle of our parenting stuff, we're trying, this, this just happened to me the other day. You know, I feel like a rookie dad every day. And something happened with my son. It's a whole new arena of, like, discipline. I'm trying to figure out, what do I do here? And it's like, man, it would be nice if Jesus was here. Jesus actually said, it's better that I leave. He told his disciples that. It's better if I go. Why did he say that? That doesn't make sense. Why would it be better if Jesus left? Well, he was physically constrained by his body. Like, you have a problem in your marriage. Or, probably not you. <laughs> you do? Okay. You, you have a problem in your marriage, right? And you're like, okay, I, I, Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, physically, if you were here on earth, he'd like go to your house and 
he'd hash it up with you, you guys would talk, he'd have a drink or whatever, and you talk about it and you figure it out. Well, if, if he's with you, then when I call him, like, hey, Jesus, my marriage is going back. Can you come over here with me? He's like, okay, yeah. He gets on his bike or takes an Uber or whatever and comes and goes to my house, and now he's got to talk to me, right? Jesus is confined by his physical body. So he said, it's better that I leave, but don't worry, I'm sending you a helper, and he'll live where? Inside of you. So now when you have a problem and I have a problem and our brothers and sisters in China have a problem and in Africa or wherever, God is literally in them and with them. God can't get close enough. This is crazy. Like in the garden, in the midst of sinful and broken people, God doesn't distance himself and shout from, a, from afar and say, listen, you guys got to get your stuff together. No, he walks in the garden with them. In the midst of, they're in the desert when they're broken and they're not being faithful. They're turning their back on God. God says, put me in a tabernacle so I can walk with you. Then Jesus puts on the clothes of humanity and he walks with broken. You know that Jesus was called a glutton and a drunk? Do you know that's, that's what they labeled him? A glutton and a drunk. Why? Why did they name him that? Because he ate a lot and drank with a lot of people. That's how he got that reputation. The verse goes on to say he was a friend of sinners. Jesus like mixed up. He was right next to them. In fl- the God who breathed out the universe is having a meal constantly with broken and messy people. And then he says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. I can't get close enough to you. Then God does the unthinkable. It's the last verse we'll go through here today as we kind of narrow this funnel. Revelation 20, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell Who has it? Where is he going to dwell? With them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God is nostalgic. He remembers what things used to be like here. He remembers the days when he would walk with humanity in the garden and there was no shame and no guilt and no fear. And God said, I will make all things new again. I will come back to that day. I'm going to redeem all of creation back to that kind of relationship. And throughout all of Scripture, I just took you from Genesis to Revelation. Throughout all of Scripture, God has a reputation of being near, broken, and messy people. He can't get close enough. He wants to be near, jacked up people. To the point where he said, and I'll come back. 
and I'll make all things like they used to be. Praise God. I asked you guys at the very beginning, like, wouldn't it be nice to have that be in the presence of God and not have that kind of shame? And God said, I'm going to make that day come again. And we get glimpses of that, right? We've all had glimpses of heaven invading earth in our own lives. When God restores our marriage or gives us hope with our kids or uh, we, we experience or give forgiveness in ways that we don't deserve, we get glimpses of it. But God said he'll make all things new again. Here's the point of all of that. I know some of you are probably asking, like, Jared, I've gone to church a long time. Like, that was a, I get that. Why are we talking about that at a parenting, like, dad thing? If all we hear today is good opinions and practical advice for fatherhood, all we will have done is simply changed our behavior. And behavior modification is never what Jesus was about. Jesus was always trying to get after the heart. Behavior modification is what the Pharisees were doing. Here are all the rules. Let's add even a few more rules and try to line ourselves up to them. Jesus walked up to them and he said, You're whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside. But you're dead inside. In fact, he said, if we all know this verse that convicts us all the time, if you've even looked at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Why did he say that? Well, because he wasn't talking about behavior. He wanted your heart. If you've already hated a man, you've already committed murder. Why? Because he wants the heart. If all we get is advice on how, I could tell you ways to be like, I think the thing was called build your dad brand or something. I could tell you ways to like try to be a cool dad or relevant dad or more engaged dad. Who cares? It's just behavior modification. What we need is our hearts to be changed by the gospel, that story of Jesus. Listen, my son the other day, he got in trouble at school. He, he, my wife picked him up. He had done some, made just bad decisions. And he came back into the car and he was just weeping because he didn't want dad to know what he had just done. And he was begging my wife, like, don't tell daddy, don't tell daddy, don't tell daddy. What was he doing? He's doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. He was hiding in shame. And in that moment, what I'm telling my son is, as I'm grabbing my son's face, and we're in his room, and I'm looking at him, I'm, t- I'm not trying to be like a cool, relevant, moral dad. What I'm trying to do is connect myself to that story. I was the broken, jacked up one hiding in my shame, and my father saved me. He pursued me. That God chased after me in my brokenness. That God, even when I was turning my back against him, relentlessly chased after my heart. Fiercely chased after my heart. Listen, think of an orphanage, right? We are not like the cute kid playing with the toys and God walks in and says, that one's super cute. I think he'll make my life better. I'll pick him. No, we're the kid running away saying, I don't want to be adopted. Get away from me. And God says, I'll take that one. He chases us down with his love. 
He's like relentless in his pursuit of us. He's always near broken and messy people. And it's in that connection, when I'm connected to the gospel, that I can look at my, my son and say, son, I will not stop forgiving you because God does not stop forgiving daddy. Son, I will not stop pursuing your heart because God does not stop pursuing daddy's heart. God, son, you can rebel against me. You can rebel against your teachers and your friends and mommy and daddy. You can run away from me and I won't stop chasing you because God has not stopped chasing me. Behavior modification is exhausting. It's exhausting. If all I'm trying to do is just be a better dad, a cool, hip dad, I will fail. You guys know this. It's exhausting. What I need is my heart to be deeply connected to the gospel of Jesus. That there's a God who chases down broken and messy and jacked up people, and we will never stop pursuing our broken, messy, jacked up kids because that's the God that we serve. Thank you.